the drive to get out. After my mother and Aunt Mary came to us in Santotilian, they still needed to recover. At some point in 1946, Aunt Mary traveled across borders illegally to get into Lithuania to find her daughter, Dalia Shulamit, my little cousin who was taken out of the ghetto in a rucksack. She brought Dalia back to us in Germany. When she arrived, I was so thrilled that I shed tears. I would take her for walks and play with her. At first, she didn't know who I was and why I was hugging her. We had to teach her Yiddish again. She had completely forgotten it and spoke only Lithuanian. Dalia has a special place in my heart. We stayed in the area of Santotilian from May 1945 to May 1947. After spending six months in hospital, we went to live in nearby village of Geltendorf, where the locals had to accommodate some Jewish displaced persons. We got rooms with a farmer who had a three-level house. My mother and father had one room, and I had an attic room. Father became the Jüdische Bürgermeister, the Jewish mayor of Geltendorf, placing people in homes and dealing with complaints. One day, a son of the farmer came back from the war on crutches. He had been in the Wehrmacht, a soldier in the regular army. They had another son whom they did not expect to see again, they said. One day, he came back. He had been in the SS. Who knows what he had done, where he had served. He always greeted us politely, but never spoke a word to us. We could never forget that we were under the same roof as a former SS man. My parents were writing letters to our family in Africa, asking if they could get us out of Germany. These were moving, emotional pleas. When my uncle Samuel Gotts died in South Africa in 1983, I received several cartons of Yiddish books that he had left for me. At the bottom of one carton was an envelope addressed to me, inside of which were letters and a telegram. To my amazement, these were all the letters my parents had sent to Samuel after liberation in Germany, before we emigrated to Africa and were united with him. I have included a few of the letters in my narrative at the appropriate place, as they describe my parents' desire to get out of Germany better than I can. All these letters are historical documents and describe vividly how desperate the lives of Holocaust survivors were after the war, how the world refused to accept us as refugees. My parents were not only desperate to get out of Germany and start life anew somewhere, they were also concerned about my future. People suggested various countries to move to, but all, including America and Canada, appeared close to Jews. We were writing to relatives in Palestine, but it was still under the British mandate, though there was no real chance to get there. 
the British refused to allow Jews to enter, and we would soon hear stories of people being turned back, or worse, incarcerated. We applied to immigrate to some South American countries, but queues were long and nothing appeared to be moving. I began to think again that I wanted to go to university and study engineering, but I wasn't going to go back to school in Germany with 13-year-olds when I was 17. At some point, I moved out of the village of Geltendorf to a large DP, displaced persons camp, in Landsberg am Lech, in Bavaria. I was assigned a room with three other Jewish men. I had to determine which subjects I most needed to matriculate from high school. The most important to me was mathematics. I went outside the camp to the Landsberg High School and asked the administration for the name of the teacher who taught maths in the higher grades. They gave me the name of the teacher, Fraulein Blumenthal, and I asked for her address. Reluctantly, they gave it to me. I went to her house and knocked on her door. A middle-aged woman opened the door, saw a stranger standing there and looking worried. I am here to ask you to give me private lessons in mathematics. I need your help, I said. She started to tell me how busy she was at the school and how it would be hard for her to find the time. Then I asked her whether she had ever traveled to Munich by train during the war. She confirmed that she had. I asked whether she had noticed at a point where the train traveled around the valley the camp below. She said she had seen the camp and that the people looked very poor and thin. I told her I was in that camp. And then I said, I have suffered a great deal in your country at the hands of your people. I think you should do this for me. I will only come twice a week and I will pay. She invited me in and eventually asked me about my life story. I saw how moved she was by what she heard. She told me she would do her best to help me and that I didn't need to pay. But I decided I would pay her with coffee and chocolates, which the local people could not get. About eight months later, she had taken me straight through to matriculation level in mathematics. During the time, I also became interested in the history of art. I met a former university art professor and I made a deal with him, coffee for lessons. I told him I had limited time. He had to take me from ancient to modern in four months. I went to the Catholic churches in Bavaria and saw distinctive styles of art. Some reminded me of Greek and Roman myths, while others were entirely Christian, but in various styles. I got a good overview of Greek and Roman sculpture and architecture from the professor. Then I stopped, as I got busy with my other studies, especially in physics and chemistry. I also went to check out the Organization for Rehabilitation through Training, the Ort School 
in the DP camp, which had just opened under the management of Mr. Jacob Olejski. He was the original director of the art school in Kovno and was also the founder of the Fachschule, the trade school that I had attended in the ghetto. Mr. Olejski lived in Munich, but often came to Landsberg and other places where he established schools. He did an exemplary job of setting up classrooms and workshops. Even in Landsberg, he had the gift of persuasiveness and the ability to find practical solutions to social problems. There were so many youths that had missed their school years and now needed practical training to prepare them for life. When I walked into the school, I was informed that a class for radio mechanics was starting that morning. My roommate, Zamik Zubenchik, and I attended the class for three days. The instructor opened an electronics tube and showed us the inside. He explained the basic principles of radio reception and transmission, how sound is attached to a radio wave and detached in the receiver. It was fascinating, and we wanted to learn more, so Zamik and I signed up for the course. We would graduate with a diploma as a qualified radio mechanic after 11 months. Our classmates were all survivors of concentration camps, all young Jewish boys below the age of 20. Our instructor, Mr. Albrecht, a German electrical engineer, was a good teacher. He gave us the minimum amount of mathematics required to understand the construction of a radio receiver, electrical theory, high frequency, and so on. I really began to enjoy the lessons and started to think that I would aim for electronic engineering rather than mechanical, which was my original plan. Every day I learned something new I could marvel at. We were beginning to build our own radio receiver from scratch, but it was difficult to find parts which we had to supply ourselves. One problem presented itself early on when we couldn't find transformers for our radio sets. I discovered dozens of discarded transformers on a pile of waste outside the bombed-out factory and when I tested a few, I realized they were burnt out. I decided to try to rewind the burnt-out wiring. I carefully took apart one transformer and slowly unwound the many hundreds of turns, winding the wire onto another bobbin. After a while, I came across a point where the wire had burnt out. I carefully soldered the two ends of broken wire covered it with insulation, and rewound the whole coil again. The transformer worked as good as new. It was a very tedious process, so I constructed a winding machine with a turn counter by using simple parts. From a book, I learned how to calculate the number of turns required for each transformer. I opened a little workshop in my room for rewiring these transformers, which I sold or gave away to my classmates. I was in business. 
I can never forget an incident that occurred in our class. There was one student who was totally uncommunicative. He didn't talk to anybody. I don't know what he had been through in the war. He had no family at all, and he was totally closed off. All the students were working intently on their projects when suddenly his radio began to work. He was the first one to get a sound out of the radio. Everyone crowded around, patting him on the back, congratulating him. And for the first time, I saw him smile. He had created something. A light came on in his eyes. From that day on, he began, in guarded way, to come back to life, talking to us. I realized then that knowing how to do something well has healing qualities. The young people in the DP camp organized social activities and dances. Damik and I were going out with two sisters. Clara, the younger sister, was a jolly girl with lots of personality. She liked to dance, but I didn't have a clue how to, and I was constantly stepping on her toes. So, on the quiet, I went to a dance studio in town. I told the instructor that I wanted to learn, but I didn't have a partner. He told me that I didn't need a partner, nor did I even need music. He taught me, one, two, three, turn, step, step, step. That's how I learned to dance. Marching around the room, I learned the steps for every dance. Then he turned on the gramophone, and I was surprised to find I could dance. Now the question was, could I do it with a partner? One day, I took Clara on a mysterious visit into town, to that studio, and I proved to myself that the classes really worked. Clara was thrilled. I started to love dancing and became quite good at it. I am especially fond of the tango. During all this time, I was studying on my own and still trying to find out how to get into university. The Jewish organizations in Munich were starting to deal with students' requests for education. I went there and asked how to get into the engineering school at the university. They told me that the university has established a special committee of professors to examine students' readiness to enter university, since none of the students had documents of matriculation. I applied to be examined. On the appropriate day, I saw a crowd of applicants milling about. I got a number and then had to wait for several hours before my turn came. In the meantime, I spoke to some people as they came out from the oral exam. Some said it was very difficult and felt dejected because they were unable to answer the questions. Finally, my turn came. The interview was conducted in German by five examiners. They started with maths, very simple questions about equations. As soon as they realized that I knew an answer, they cut me off and asked me the next question at the next level. 
In a few minutes, they determined my maths knowledge. Then they moved to physics. In about 20 minutes, they moved through all the physics to matriculation level. There were a few questions in chemistry, which I did not answer too well, and they were finished. A brief time later, I discovered that out of 146 students, only about 30 had been approved, and I was one of them. They told me I would get a letter and that I should prepare myself. I was supposed to start in September, the fall of 1946. I was excited to study electronics. I didn't know how I was going to make it financially, but I would face that later. However, my plans going to university in Munich were soon thwarted, but I hadn't been looking forward to living in Germany and going to university with Germans anyway. 